Hello, everyone. This is The Truth of the Matter Is. I'm your host, Daniel, and I'm here with Jonathan. This is episode number 64. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we appreciate everyone for listening in today. Now, before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who decided to tune in today. This could be episode one in your book or episode 64 as a longtime listener. We would like to say thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. So before we get started, Daniel, how are you doing today? I'm doing a-okay, actually. It's been a very eventful weekend and just a good week in general. So eventful? Quite all right. Eventful? What do you mean by that? Oh, just a lot of things have taken place throughout the week, so... Definitely eventful is a good word for it. Okay. What about you? I agree with that. I've also had a eventful weekend starting Friday. Actually drove up to Jersey, watched a couple movies, and then came back down. And obviously the area that I live in, once it reaches a certain period of time, it's hard to find parking. So imagine driving about an hour and a half and then driving about an hour within your own neighborhood to find parking one of the weirdest strangest things that i have to deal with in the area that we live in but eventually the hope is that someone leaves you take the spot and you come inside so besides that i want to say the weekend's been okay and you know looking forward to this coming week right trying to figure out what are going to be some initial steps that I have to take moving forward with other things that are important to me. So, obviously, before we get started, I want to make sure is there anything else you want to add? Um, not really anything too much to add. Okay. Things have been um, pretty, pretty chill. All right. So, well, before we get started with our text for today, let's begin with prayer first and foremost. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask for the forgiveness of all sins. Those I am aware of, unaware of, intentional or unintentional. For myself and those who share the same thoughts and want to confess with the same heart for this. So I want to give you 10 seconds to join me with the same concerns. And I want to say let's repent as one, but do so individually. Wherever you are. I want you to understand that you shouldn't be afraid. Just know God loves you and has an open door policy. Again, don't be afraid. If there's any suggestions, I would say be bold and honest and upfront with your creator. So here's 10 seconds to repent for anything. Lord, we come humbly to the throne of grace and mercy, and with that, we trust that all is forgiven. For you already did the work on the cross, and we understand that part of this process of repenting is turning away, waging war against our flesh. And the goal is we want to make strides to improving little by little, every day, whatever we can handle. The goal is to do better, be better while we forge ahead for change. 
But for today, Lord, I also want to say, we go to your word to unpack what you foretold us in scripture. Therefore, Lord, I ask that you open all eyes to see, all ears to hear, all hearts to receive, and all minds to understand what it is that you told us in your word. And for that, Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, I thought that would be interesting this week for prayer. I think it's important to repent. Also be reminded that repenting is important. Doing away with some of either the negative thoughts or some of the things that we practice. Again, I want to make sure and put out there that none of us are perfect in the body of Christ. We all struggle with something, whatever that may be. But I think it's important that coming to God, laying it before him and asking him for assistance to improve is something we all should strive to do and also be reminded, but also, you know, encouraged by one another to continue in the journey in life to get better and better and overcome whatever it is that you're dealing with. So, as I stated in prayer, we are going right into the scripture to unpack what Jesus foretold us to be aware of, what to watch out for. This episode will be diving into scripture while also looking back into biblical and historical history. Now, for the record, I want to state one other thing. When we hear end times or last days, I want you to understand that we have been in the last days and in the end times. The occurrences and the events have been happening for the last 2,000 years. Everything up until now is considered the last days and the end times. Today, we will point to a numerous amount of occurrences. So I want us to understand that Jesus was not, I repeat, was not speaking to a specific period in time, whether that was by day, by month, by year, or decade. In my humble opinion, after looking at the scriptures, he was speaking to the concept of just understanding the general sense of what will occur, right? What I think what we should be focusing on is how often these occurrences are happening within a given period or time than, say, if it is happening. I will explain that a little bit more as we go deep into the text, but let's begin. So we're going to obviously... Start with the Gospel of Luke. We're continuing the Gospel of Luke series. And it begins at chapter 21, verses 5 to 38. So Daniel, take it away. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he. And the time is near. Do not follow. When you hear of wars uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom 
against Kinky. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and penicillins in various places, fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdoms that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of you, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken at the time. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads, because your redemption is drawn near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree all the trees when they sprout leaves you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near even so when you see these things happen you know that the kingdom of god is near truly i tell you this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with corrosion, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each even he was he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. All right, great job, Daniel. So what Daniel just did is he read quite a bit, and obviously I know it's quite a bit, but we will try and address everything from verse 5 to verse 38, some in great details than others. Some from a biblical historical context, while in others a worldly historical context. For those who don't know, 
I've obviously tripled majored in college. Those subjects were history, political science, and philosophy. So that is the perspective you're going to get. When you hear some of my thoughts, especially on the historical history part. So let's take a look at verses 5 through 7 first. So Daniel, can you read, reread verses 5 through 7? Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? So a few things to understand here. The temple of God was rebuilt three times. The temple of God was rebuilt three times. The first time we learn about a building of a temple is in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And this is what it says. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Then when we go to First Chronicles chapter 28, and we read verses 2 to 7, it tells us this also. I have planned to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for building. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, for you are a warrior and have shed blood. He has said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues to resolute in keeping my commandments and my ordinances as he is today. Now, the second time we hear about the temple is the rebuilding of the temple. The second time. Now, that will be found in the book of Ezra, chapter 6, verse 3, and Ezra, chapter 6, verse 15 through 16. So, Daniel. The first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices, and let its foundations be laid. Now, I'm going to skip ahead and read verses 15 and 16 also. The temple was completed on the third day of the Mount of Adir in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Leviates, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. When you think about who Israel was, they were people who were consistently on the move due to war and subject to defeat. God allowed some of that while time because of the disobedience to God within the covenant they swore to obey, but obviously didn't. So what changed? Well, Israel settled down and established a new way of living, a specific lifestyle. You have a transition that was politically and economically driven due to the structure of classism. So the way of life shifted. Let's go back to Second Samuel. And what we learn is that people wanted a king rather than God himself to rule over them. So let the word educate us. So we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to read verses 4 through 22. 
And this is what it tells us. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint the king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But what they said, Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and his horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be for perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. Great job, Dan. So what we see here is a couple of things. Interesting enough, one of the things that God, in terms of insight that he's given to Samuel, is he wants the people to understand that a king, one who leads over you, requires a lot. Requires a lot, especially some of the things that they personally have, the people. You have to sort of provide for your king. So yes, he goes out to battle for you, but be mindful he gets a percentage of what you have. And the alternative to at least in that standpoint is that God, who is a God who is unseen, at least at this point, doesn't require any of those things. Which is why I think it's essential to understand that one of the reasons why God is informing Samuel of this is that so that people can understand what they're getting themselves into. So you see, from this point forward, Saul becomes king. Then what does God do after the people have their choice? God then chooses one after his own heart, and that's David. 
Think about this from a a second speaking historically, right? Because of the development of kings, I would think there would be a need for a palace, right? Just like every other nation. So guess what is being provided? The necessities in order for a king to thrive. Just like every other nation. And yet, God didn't complain that one bit. He evolved with the request and all he did was make minor adjustments to work through the king and the power and the developing priest class to eventually have King Jesus on the throne. So I thought it would be important to mention this because, again, everything that Samuel told the people, God told Samuel. And with that, that still didn't change the mind of the people. So, in terms of dates approximately, during the 10th century before Christ, we have the first temple. The second temple was built by returning exiles in approximately 515 BC. While the third and most elaborate was developed under King Herod in approximately 19 BC, which is under construction. What we also get under King Herod was the evolution of the growth of the temple. Its expansion, right? The mountain area increased up to about 36 acres, which is about 150 square meters. Herod's rebuilding work started, as I stated, in 19 BC and was only completed in 63 AD, which is after the death of Christ, taking more than eight years. It was finished only seven years before it was ultimately destroyed in 70 AD, which, of course, Jesus proclaimed 40 years ago. Now, before we move on to verses 8 to 11, it will be insensitive not to acknowledge how the disciples marveled at the declaration of the temple. So historically, from a biblical standpoint, myself and Daniel want to direct you to 1 Kings chapter 5 and chapter 6, which is the building of an actual temple for God. Now, obviously, if you read prior to that, before Solomon ultimately was instructed or it was on Solomon's heart to build, we understand, at least in the book of Hebrews, that God doesn't live in temples made by man. However, he showed his presence there. So, the reason why we're providing you this is because we want you to kind of get an understanding what it took to build a temple. You can read from there to get a better idea of how they built these temples. Okay. You know, the time is, you know, you'll know that the time it took, the materials that were required, and of course, the teamwork. For the sake of time, we won't go into it, which is why we would rather point it out to you if you're interested and you want to do your research on your own. So let's. Move forward on to verse 8 to 11. Daniel. Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he. And the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be great earthquakes, famines, penicillins, and various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now, I did some research and found and read that there were many individuals proclaiming to be the Messiah, just as Jesus foretold us what happened. So I thought it would be cool and interesting to provide you with some of the individuals that I found. So Daniel will take two and I will take two. Arthur Davis from 1868 to 1880 was declared by his father, William Davis, to be the Messiah, literally the reincarnated Jesus Christ when he was born on February 11th of 1868. Davis received several of what he called revelations about reincarnation and began teaching his own followers his beliefs. One of his relevant um, revelations directed him to create the kingdom of heaven, a utopian community, and he led his followers to Walla Walla, Washington. Davis instructed his followers that he was in fact Michael the Archangel. He also taught his followers that it had been revealed to him that he had had lead several lives and that he was the reincarnated Adam, the father of all mankind, as well as Abraham, the, patri uh, the patriarch of the tree of Abraham or Abrahamic religions, and David, the biblical king of Israel. Right. Anna Lee from 1736 to 1784 was born in England and was baptized and raised in society of friends commonly called the Quakers. After marriage, Lee had four children, all whom died in infancy, and she developed the radical belief that marriage was an unholy state and celibacy led to spiritual and physical perfection. Her preaching brought her to the attention of the authorities of the Church of England, and she was arrested and fined on several occasions for heteric teachings and practices. From 1770, she had raised to such providence within the set that her followers declared her to be the perfection of God in female form and a title of her as the mother of all things. Thenceforth, she was Mother Anna. By 1781, Mother Anna and some sets followed were recruiting new members in New England. By this time, her followers were calling her the second coming of Jesus Christ. In her role as the Messiah, she preached the separation of men and women with celibacy and a required the requirement of salvage. Arnold Potter bestowed the title upon himself during the time period of 1804 to 1872. He called himself Potter Christ, son of the living God. And as the Messiah wrote the book of rules to be used as the basis of decisions on the day of the final judgment, the book, according to Potter, was dedicated to him by angels. Why angels will dedicate to the Son of God was not explained. But then he founded a religion which he called the Church of the Potter Christ. Potter's message often included some new revelation from God, which was enthusiastically welcomed by his followers 
1872, Potter informed his congregation that it had been revealed to him that it was time for him to ascend boldly into heaven. Okay. And finally, Ernest Norman was an electrical engineer by training. He was a writer of more than 20 books on a diverse group of topics, including theoretic physics, life on other worlds, and modern poetry. Uranians believed in the immortality of the human soul reincarnation and higher beings from other dimensions and worlds channel knowledge to be enlightened here on Earth. Norman claimed that the books that he had written were merely channeled through him. Norman didn't claim that he was Jesus, returned to Earth in the form of the second coming of Christ, merely that he had been Jesus in a previous life, one in which presumably he was channeling higher beings as well. Since he also claimed to be Confucius in a prior life, he evidently had no problem with conflicting religious teachings or dogmas. Norman died in 1971. Presumably he is waiting to return as another being if he hasn't already. Now, obviously we can keep going, but you get the point. Some are interesting, obviously. Some are laughable. But worth mentioning that the devil is obviously busy. Now, here are some honorable mentions that you could look up on your own time if you so choose. So, Sabathia Zeba, I spell that S-A-B-B-A-T-A-I-Z-E-B-I, and it was from 1626 to 1676. Yahweh Ben Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, then it's Ben, B-N, again Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H, from 1935 to 2007. You have Muhammad Ahmad. Then you have Christina Venta, K-R-S-H-N-A-V-N-T-A. You have Anna Shahang, A-H-N-S-H-A-N-G, Hong, H-O-N-G, from 1918 to 1985. And of course, Jesus Christ, right? the Jews specifically that don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now, before we move any further, any reflection, any thoughts to some of the people who claim to be the Messiah from a historical standpoint, Daniel? I should add my name in there too. <laughs> Why not? So obviously you see there are some people that you could perceive as a little crazy, but for some strange reason, they obviously have followers. So some of the things that they taught obviously weren't out of the realm of possibilities to some who listen and comprehend it. But this is one of the reasons why Jesus said that there would be people that would claim to be messiahs. Obviously, don't listen to them. Don't pay any attention. And as we look through the history, there are some people who indeed proclaim themselves to be messiahs. So it's safe to say from a historical standpoint that Jesus was correct here. And let's continue. Right. Verse nine says, when you hear of wars and uprising, do not be frightened. These things must happen. First, the end will not come right away. So I want to preface my statements that one of the things that Jesus stated and Paul made it clear that he did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So on that note, that is the reason why he's telling us not to be frightened. 
and these things have to happen. So here are some wars to mention that have transpired historically, right? Obviously, the Korean War in June 25, 1950, the Vietnam War, November 1st, 1955, the Sinerian the Civic War, March 15, 2011, the war in Afghanistan, October 7, 2001, Gulf War, August 2nd, 1990, Mexican Drug War, December 11, 2006, Iraq War, March 20, 2003, Israel-Pakistanian conflict in 1948, Nigerian Civic War, July 6, 1967. Obviously, we have to mention World War I and World War II, and of course, the Ukraine and Russian War that is taking place currently in 2022. So obviously, I'm pointing out that Jesus said, don't be frightened. Wars have to come. And obviously, not just in our time period, but others, after Jesus' death over the last 2,000 years, there's been numerous wars that have transpired either from disagreement or based upon imperialism. So let's continue. If we go to verse 10, it says, Nations rising against nations. Now, we see that as soon as Jesus dies and was resurrected, right? Kingdom against kingdom. We see that also in first and second kings. Of course, that was a part of the biblical history before Christ, right? Came down in the life of actual person, God in the flesh. And obviously in middle school, a lot of us were educated on the medieval times, right? Alexander the Great and many more in regards to Athens. Some of it happened before Christ and after his death, of course. This is a broad explanation because if you were to seriously go into this episode and really unpack all the different things that transpired, it would obviously be two plus hours, okay? Now, a lot of stuff has happened, but of course, I'm not trying to bore you, but it is important that we kind of unpack some of these things that's transpired. Now, let's move on to verse 11. It says, great earthquakes, famines, fearful events, great signs from heaven will happen. Now, there have been some dangerous earthquakes that have occurred in history. A few happened in our lifetime. For the sake of time, here are six of the 12 that we can point to that have been extremely devastating that we know of. Daniel? Pakistan in October 8th of 2005 and Indonesia of December 26th of 2004. Also had a huge earthquake in Japan on January seventeenth, nineteen ninety five. Southern California experienced a pretty huge earthquake on January seventeenth, nineteen ninety four, in Central California of October eighteenth, nineteen eighty nine. And if you want to go even a little bit further back, China, July twenty seventh of nineteen seventy six. Okay, so we realized that Jesus was right about that. How about fam- fa- famines? That's what they call famines. So, the Irish had a great famine in 1845 that lasted to 1849. Bengal had a famine in 1943. The Sovereign Union had a famine that transpired in 1932 to 1933. Now, 1932 was the great Chinese famine that was caused by a communist leader attempting to force change upon an unwilling population. Russia had a famine in 1921 during World War I, and the year leading up to it hit Russia hard. 
Political unrest and civic wars through 1917 led to a bloody revolution. Deacon famine of 1930 to actually 1630 to 1632 and Northern Korea had a famine in 1994 that lasted to 1998. One of the most devastating famines of modern times. So how about fearful events? So we just had one COVID COVID. I think it was 2020. Right. And it's still obviously going in the area that we're in. The Spanish flu, of course, monkey pots, uh, not as serious, but it's one of the things that are incurring is one of the fearful events that are happening. And of course, one of the things that's been happening that's continuing to happen, happen and that's climate change, right? Period. Like climate change is going to be a big thing. Now, great signs from heaven. I don't believe that's happened yet. They're still to come. What do you think, Daniel? Have you seen great signs from heaven has happened yet, at least in our time frame? Mm, we had a couple of prophets that came by, but uh, mm. <laughs> on a serious note, <laughs> <laughs> nothing from heaven has occurred. Now, <laughs> nothing from heaven, not, not yet. Yeah. So let's continue from verse twelve to verse nineteen. This is what it says. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of you, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. So this obviously happened to John the Baptist and Jesus himself. Interesting enough, Jesus obviously is telling you this, and this actually occurred during his process of being crucified. Now, the book of Acts has plenty of stories that fits this description. Brother Stephen was put on trial. He, of course, gave an amazing speech under the support and governance and presence of the Holy Spirit. And obviously he got stoned to death. The good thing about that story is at least he saw Jesus in the midst of him being stoned. And I believe he uttered the same words that Jesus uttered on the cross, which show that he had nothing but love in his heart. Dan, you remember that story? I do. So we also know Paul. Later in the book, of course, in the book of Acts, I remember that people wanted to kill Paul. He wanted him killed so badly that they vowed not to eat. Remember that also? <laughs> I I do. <laughs> right? Now, <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> they said, we will not eat until Paul is killed. Now, I guess like, okay. Yeah. We started so wild, <laughs> <laughs> now, we learn that Peter and John in the temple courts were told not to preach in Jesus' name, and obviously they suffered and were frogged. And I also want to make note that all around the world and other countries outside of the United States, people are dying for their conviction and their loyalty to King Jesus, right? In the United States, there's freedom to practice religion. However, in other parts of the world, you can forget it. It's not as accessible or allowed. And event, you know, if they find out that you're doing certain things, they, they end up killing you. And I think, 
you know, one of the most important things we discussed, at least in one of the episodes, that, you know, your belief in in Christ and God has to be a conviction, not a preference, right? That requires some boldness and a willingness to die at the hands of those who obviously hate you. Now, there's a text that Jesus mentions in the Gospels that, you know, if it comes down to choosing, you know, him over your family, your brothers and sisters, in the end, you have to choose God. And unfortunately, that's a very hard pill to swallow. It'll be something I believe we'll, we'll discuss in the Gospel of Matthew series. But, you know, it's hard to realize that, you know, God who created you, he said, you're not worthy of me. If you're choosing a family member or a mother or father over him. And that's a deep message and something we will have to get into at a later date. So let's continue. And I want to unpack verses 20 through 24. So Danny, remind the people what it says. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that it is desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. And let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by sword and be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So historically speaking, Jerusalem was invaded, at least it's been on record, at least 20 times, right? It wasn't until 1948 that Israel gained its independence. Even after that, you had five Arab nations, Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, and Syria, and Lenian, who immediately invaded the region, right? This is where we get the 1948-Arab-Israel war. It's really broken out throughout all of Israel. Right. That's what really happened. And there was a cease of fire agreement reached in 1949. But going back to the scripture, Jesus expressed some concern in Luke chapter 19. This is why context matters. And sometimes looking at the before and after scriptures help. As a matter of fact, he wept. So let's go there and understand what he's saying here and how it relates, at least to Luke 21. After what we just read from verses 20 through 24. So, Dan, what's it saying? Luke 19. Verses 41 through 44, what does it tell us? And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you, and him you and on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you, and they will not let you leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So the warning Jesus gave basically was ignored by many Jews. Why? Because they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So after his death in 70 AD, the Roman army circled Jerusalem and Exercise vengeance. History records that 1.1 million Jews were killed and another 97,000 were taken captive in one of the worst calamities ever to strike the Jewish people. 
Now, Jesus warned them to avoid it, and many didn't. Now, the Christians, those who did believe in Jesus, that weren't Jewish or knew what Jesus actually said, and they obeyed him and fleed across the Jordan River, mostly to Pella, Pella, and were safe. Now, ain't it beautiful to follow the instructions? You get to live, right? Now, some of them did, but the majority of them were killed. Now, Jesus stated it will be a long period when Jerusalem will be dominated by Gentiles all the way up, obviously, into 1948. But then they still have that war that they had that obviously ceased within a year in 1949. Now, when we look at verses 25 through 28, this is what it says. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken, and at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So this text obviously has a lot of symbolism which requires more digging. I see that obviously this will be something that obviously we will unpack obviously in the Gospel of Matthew series. But to sum up some of the things that's being said here, let's look at Revelation chapter 6 verses 8 through 9. And I looked up and behold, a pale horse and his rider's name was Death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with palaces and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Let's also go to Revelation chapter 6. We can also look at verses 15 to 17 as well. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the land, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Now, obviously, these are some really ruthless proclamations that are being stated in Revelation, but these are some of the things that will be experienced, at least will be some of the outcomes in regards of some of the devastations and the outcomes that are being prophesied by Jesus that he's saying that will come. So let's move on to verses 29 to 32. Daniel? He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we look at this text. This parable in context, we should understand that Jesus is not referring to his own generation. 
not even a generation of the first disciples. He's actually speaking to the generation that sees these signs. They will also see the very end. Now, when we look at the end of the verse, verse 32, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. What we see is the Holy Spirit is influencing the writers to reiterate what Jesus said. So let's go to see, obviously, in other portions of Scripture where it's restated, right? So we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, and this is what it tells us. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And let's also go to the book of Psalms 103, verses 15 to 18. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows we are gone as though we have never been here but the love of the lord remains forever with those who fear him his salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant of those who obey his commandments yeah so it's essential to know that the job of the holy spirit is to testify through the mouth and heart of the believer I'll say that one more time. It's essential to know that the job of the Holy Spirit is to testify through the mouth and heart of the believer. Hence, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, that says, I believe, therefore I have spoken. I believe, therefore I have spoken. I believe, therefore I have spoken. But also for Jesus to proclaim that his words were the very words of God. And for our testimony to justify what is true, because he is true. He's the truth. He's the way and he's the life. Now, let's finish up with verse 34 to 38. Daniel. Be careful or your hearts will be weighing down with drunkenness and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Now if you haven't yet, we encourage you to check out episode 42 when we talked about the importance of planning and managing. So we didn't just speak in the sense of planning and managing in a literal sense but we also talked about how planning and managing is important when it comes to learning and understanding about god's word and what is to come right now in the context the text is speaking about unpreparedness for the day of jesus return the goal is to always be prepared and ready to be caught doing what is right not what is wrong another thing is this when jesus comes there will be two distinct aspects separated by certain types of times. The first aspect comes suddenly, 
unexpectedly in a time of peace and safety. The second time comes with the great anticipation to a world almost destroyed by judgment of God. With Jesus coming to the earth, his plan is for his people. And obviously that's coming from at least from the heaven. When it came to Jesus, one thing that was spot on about him was that he did not hide in the days before his betrayal, arrest, and crucial future. I'll say that one more time. When it came to Jesus, one thing that was spot on about him was that he did not hide in the days before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion, he was found doing what he was called to do on the earth. And now was telling the world by his father, God the Father. Jesus really camped out and poured his grace and mercy into the people's lives, at least those that came to listen. And on that note, we're going to go right into devotion. For the followers of Christ, there is no day without a battle. Some days it rages harder than others, but there is never a truce between the spirit and the flesh. They are opposed to each other. One is life and peace, the other death. That is in Romans chapter 8 verse 6. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And that's out of Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 17. You're born into this conflict when you become God's child. So how do you prepare yourself for it? The Galatians had fallen back into keeping the law, which never did have the power to win that battle. The flesh was always stronger than rules and regulations. The only thing that wins against desire is a stronger desire. To avoid siding with the flesh, you must cultivate a stronger desire to walk with the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit means you're growing a greater desire for the things of the Spirit every day. So here's a small prayer to help you throughout the week. Lord, help me to yield to your Holy Spirit, to walk in your love and seek to please you. Help me to overcome my sinful nature by your power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.